Whether you're a badass entrepreneur, unstoppable stay-at-home mom, or anything in between, if you want to bring the best of everything you do, you've got to have the skills to think, feel, and be mentally strong and damn resilient. And the podcast, Mentally Stronger, with therapist Amy Moran, who I've actually had on my show, is filled with stories, struggles, and strategies to help you become the strongest and best absolute version of yourself. Now, Amy Moran is a psychotherapist, international best-selling author, and TEDx speaker with more than 23 million views. And her podcast, guys, is jam-packed full of mentally strength-building tools and tricks that couldn't be more actionable or practical. So tune in to Mentally Strong with therapist Amy Moran and build the mental strength you need to become your best. It's time for some podcast reviews from Mon. Lisa is a total badass who interviews amazing women in a different, approachable and relatable way. I completely recommend her podcast. It will change your life. (laughs) She wrote that in capital, so of course I had to say it like that. That's so cool. Psychology Today's definition of self-sabotage is when you create problems in your daily life that interfere with long-standing goals. The most common self-sabotaging behaviors include procrastination, self-medication with drugs or alcohol, and forms of self-injury such as cutting. But guys, I gotta be honest, this definition is actually rather extreme. What about the type of self-sabotage we may not even be aware we're doing? The death of a thousand cuts. When you tell yourself you're gonna start eating healthy, come Monday, it's on. But since it's Friday, I might as well spend the next three days eating everything in sight. After all, I don't start till Monday, right? Self sabotage. Or what about when you want to meet someone? You find someone you like, but hang on, they don't check all the boxes. So what's the freaking point? Your expectations are so high that they just can't be met. Self sabotage. But guys, fret not. Today's guest, the holistic psychologist, is back to help us not only identify the patterns of self sabotage, but give very tactical tips on how we can sabotage our self sabotage. The woman who is empowering millions of individuals around the globe to be the hero of their own life by healing themselves, Dr. Nicole Lupera. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me back. It's always an honor to chat with you. Oh, girl, such an honor to have you back. Where I want to start this conversation is with a quote of yours. Our minds seek the familiar. Repeating the same behaviors is called a pattern, which comes from childhood conditioning. We repeat what we know. So I kind of want to just start from the beginning. If that is true, how do we start to identify what patterns we have developed from childhood that are not serving us? Yeah, absolutely. I actually got chills hearing you reread that just because of how powerful that just statement is. And then I think when I answer the question, experiencing that statement is incredibly powerful. So what do I mean by that? Observing, observing yourself. So I can sit here and say, you know, we're patterned. We repeat everything from our lifestyle habits, you know, the things we do first thing in the morning, how we go about our day. Um, I could tell you, you repeat thoughts that we get very repetitive. Um, We tend to tell ourselves the same narrative in our head, most of us, all day long. A lot of us now are really familiar with the phenomenon of thoughts producing emotional reactions in the body. I think most of us, I know myself, I've sat on a couch, had an anxiety provoking thought, you know, worried about something happening, typically something not positive happening. 
And I myself, at least, have thrown my body into a complete reaction. I would start to feel panicked. So a lot of us are repeating the same emotional experiences too. And the way we identify that is we watch ourselves, observe yourself. The large majority of us are in autopilot all day long. We wake up and we don't really consider the choices that we're making through the day. That part of our brain, those of you who are familiar with my work probably hear me go on and on about the subconscious. That's where those patterns are stored. So when we wake up, pay attention to how many choices you're making for yourself that day, or is your autopilot determining your day to day? And chances are you are conditioned. You are repeating those same patterns, even if you intend to do differently. Okay, that's amazing. So how do you do that without judgment? And then how do you, do you know the David Foster Wallace quote, um, be like water? My audience are probably sick of hearing this from me, but it's the story where there's an older fish swimming one way, there's two younger fish swimming the other. The older fish goes, well, how's it going, boys? How's the water? The other small fish keep going. One of them turns around and is like, what the hell is water? And the point being is that when you're in an environment, mm -hmm. day in, day out mm -hmm. from birth, you don't even know it exists. Right. So knowing, let's say, these thought patterns and these assessments that you're making have started from the beginning, how do you actually identify, in fact, even that it's a pattern and not just matter of fact? Um, and then how do you do that without judgment? Yeah, the judgment part, I think, is the piece, Lisa, that we all struggle with. Um, I kind of universally speak of a critical voice in our head because I quite literally think quite universally we all have that. We all sit in judgment of ourselves. I'm better than you. I'm worse than you. Good, bad. All of those words come from that ego space. So it's a skill. It's a practice. And it's going to be difficult. If you, especially if you know you're someone with that inner critical voice, you probably, your habit is going to be to sit in judgment. So I just like to voice these things because I know a lot of us can become very self-judgmental when it doesn't come naturally to us or when we do see those judgments being cast. So we want to practice just viewing them as they are. And I talk about the childhood and the wounding and the effective conditioning because I think a lot of us do judge ourselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have maybe been through a lot of therapy, have been through a lot of self-help, might even consider ourselves really insightful. We might essentially know better, but yet we can't execute the choices to quote unquote do better, if you will. Um, and then we start to assign judgments on ourselves. I'm broken. I'm not meant to change. I can't get better. This isn't the life meant for me. And really the list goes on. So learning, I think, how to shift that, um, learning how to just view things objectively as they are and understanding if you are someone who's stuck in that conditioning, that it's not actually a sign of something being wrong with you. It's a sign that your subconscious is functioning as all of ours do to keep you safe, to keep you in that familiar place. All right, so let's do a real world example because um, you're 100% right. There's a massive difference between knowing something and then doing something. Mm -hmm. We can know all the information, but doing it, our emotions get involved, right? The judgment gets involved and it just stops us. So you're a psychologist. You know exactly how to work your mind. You know the tips and tools. You're still obviously evolving. And so how do you then, let's say, Nicole wakes up in the morning and goes, okay, this is tough, the situation of the world. I know what to do. Um, I don't want to place judgment on it because I know that doesn't serve me, and but I'm still not feeling it. Like actually, take take me through those steps of what it looks like. Nicole opens her eyes, has the negative thought, and what? 
Yeah, absolutely. So this question isn't going to, I want to make some room for individual discernment. Thank you. Because I'm never going to say universally, what? you know, work through it. The, the language I often use, you know, what, what I define, the thoughts of not to do something or the feelings, you know, that come up when I go against my familiar, mm -hmm. when I try to activate in a new direction or make a new choice, a lot of us do get that endless litany of reasons why not to do this new thing. Some of us might feel uncomfortable actually in our bodies. We might just not feel like ourselves as we're making these new choices. Mm. Those I call resistances. And again, they're the messengers from that subconscious that should we choose to listen to those resistances, before we know it, we are back in that familiar rut. That's how it keeps us safe. You will never hear me universally say, ignore the resistance and do it anyway, because I don't think that universally applies to every situation. So I'll use myself as a prime example. I wake up and there's a difference between mornings where I just like, it is that old resistance. I just kind of like don't feel like it, though I can activate and make the choice against that otherwise. And then there are different mornings where my body doesn't feel like it. I'm emotionally exhausted. Mm. In those circumstances, I do urge the individual to honor their intuition or their inner knowing, the part of their body that's saying, you know what? That new choice isn't for me today. I'm actually gonna surrender into maybe what my body needs today. And it's not getting up at 5 a.m. and going to the gym. Maybe this morning I do something different. Mm. That's the end product goal though, is to get so in touch with ourself, to learn often as I still do myself through trial and error, to learn what my body and my emotional and my energy signals are, to know and be able to differentiate whether or not it is that resistance and this is a moment where if I actualize this new choice, right, I can keep myself moving in that future self-direction. Or if this is a moment where, you know what, I'm going to honor my body or my emotions right now and make the choice that my need is telling me in that moment. And how do you then make that distinction specifically? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. And that comes after doing the work for some time, right? That comes after building a foundational connection to myself. For me, those of you who know my story know that I was completely dissociated for a very long time, meaning I wasn't connected to my physical body, so I couldn't hear its needs in any given moment. I wasn't con connected really, nor did I know what to do with my emotions, my emotional, my energetic body. I was more or less, I was one of those people who learned from the book maybe how to teach others. And when it came to my emotions, you know, I really, really struggled. So. For me and in my healing journey, like a lot of us need to do, I took a lot of the steps to rebuild that balance, to learn how to be conscious, to learn how to connect with my body, to sift through and differentiate the different signals. So it didn't come overnight. However, now I'm at a connected enough place that I can start to make sense of the feelings that I'm having, whether or not they're in my physical body or in my emotional body. So again, I know I'm not giving specifics, as you do the work, you, you tend to fall into that connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're all looking for. Most of us are looking to find our way back home, to figure out what choices make sense for us. And we live in a world where there's endless opinions and there's endless information now and there's endless tools. And now I think we're all tasked with the individual you know, responsibility to find our way, to find the way into the tools and, and, and what works for us. Um, to empower ourselves. All right. So once you've, let's say, you've observed the patterns, how do you start identifying that it's linked to childhood trauma? 
Um, and then also even just childhood trauma, I heard you talking about like, it isn't even just like the super dramatic, massive things that happen mm. in life, right? Like obviously extremely horrific, sexual abuse, things like that. But I've even heard you talk about just certain things that your parents have said to you that created a certain belief system in you that you took into adulthood. So can you talk to me about that, break it down, and then how do we start assessing that it started from childhood in order for us to unwind it? Yeah, absolutely. And and so the the study that you quoted, you know, is the intro here. I think it happened in the 90s-ish at that time, the way trauma was defined was in those, it, it's in the field referred to as big T, right? The instances what? of abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, neglect. Um, and there was kind of, I think, seven, seven uh, questions. And you get a score based on how many yeses you have. This is amazing. We need this in the field. This was the first time, as surprising as it might be for so many people, that it took till the 90s for us to say, hey, these things that happen in childhood carry these negative effects into adulthood. So that's we're really grateful on the one hand that we finally have this documented. However, I think that that definition is, is much more limited than can be helpful for most of us. Why? And I'm one of those people. Because when I meet something like the ACEs scale or when I learned about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is typically the diagnosis that goes along with checking those boxes on the ACEs scale, I think I score maybe a one, um, which is very, very low. It's not one of the higher numbers. So someone like myself, and I think there's a lot of us, especially in the self-healers community, that was really confusing to me because I see that I'm not scoring high enough to really necessitate that I should be struggling in any way. And I, I know for a very long time, I mean, I have extensive experience. I worked with in substance um, recovery facilities. I've worked with individuals on the spectrum, right? So I... I have worked with people who score very high on the ACEs, yet I had a, there was a striking similarity that I would see in the patterns that I was living, whether or not they're just in my day to day, in my thoughts and the way I felt, definitely in my relationships. And I would see the same patterns in those who were scoring really high on the ACEs. So for me, for a very long time, I had a hard time making sense of what the hell was wrong with me? Well, Do you think it invalidated you then? I mean, it, I think a lot of us would feel like something's broken or something's wrong or I'm just excluded. And maybe there's no language, put it that way, for what's going on with me. And the danger there or the risk there is that we do tend to assign these then global, not so positive evaluations. I'm broken. I just can't achieve that thing. That's not meant for me. I'm stuck with these symptoms for my lifetime, right? That's sort of generalized language, the more you repeat that to yourself, the more you become stuck. So a big part of my work, you'll hear what I talk about, and, I, and I've coined it, or I, or I refer to it, I should say, as spiritual trauma. All of the other ways that I believe, and one of the major reasons I call myself a holistic psychologist now, is because I believe there's an interconnection between our bodies, our minds, and I believe a soul that indescribable thing that makes us human that none of us can really put our finger on, though I feel like in increasing numbers, we're all kind of resonating more and more with that. Um, and in that area, I believe is where a lot of trauma occurs. So when our young soul comes to our family of origin, whatever that might look like and whatever you know, tucked in country of the world that is, I believe quite universally, all of our souls as humans seek three things, to be seen, to be heard, and to have the space to just express as is. 
And I think that's the area where a lot of us, you know, weren't born in environments that allowed that space, didn't had an accumulation of experiences where we didn't feel seen, we didn't feel heard, we didn't feel our reality was validated. And then again, we stored those in our subconscious and we continue to repeat those patterns. And it can cause a lot of the same symptomology of dissociation, of medication and numbing with all of the ways that we do that, all of the ways we cope, in my opinion, often are born out of those very early spiritual wounds. So I'm a very big advocate for expanding definitions of trauma, for understanding you know, that you might not be checking the boxes of the big traditional things that you, you thought you know, could cause you to continue to struggle in ways that you still might be struggling based on those past experiences. Mm -hmm. And so just something else I like to offer, because if you're like me, I have very limited memories of my childhood. I can't close my eyes and like kind of review like a movie, my past. So to speak to your question of how do I know if it's based in my childhood or not, when I speak about my lack of memory, I do get asked a lot, what if I don't have memory? What if I can't see the moment in time in my past or know that that pattern originated there? I don't believe you have to because I believe your conditioned behaviors now are a reflection of that. So the question you really want to ask yourself isn't where did it come from and do I need to know where it came from to unpack it? It's how is this serving me now? And if it's no longer serving me, now I have other tools that I can begin to make choices to begin to use and develop new habits. What up, guys? Now I'm going to share something with you. I can sometimes have a tendency to overthink, question myself, and sometimes or maybe very often doubt the decisions I've made and so my mind just starts spiraling round and around. Does that sound familiar? Well, let's face it, when it comes to hiring people on your team, the pressure to make the right choice, the right hire and the right person is even bigger. The stakes are so freaking high, so you need to actually make sure that you have the right tools to help you find the right people so that your team can actually have clarity and work with utter confidence. And that's why, honestly, you've got to go check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion, let me repeat that, a billion with a B, professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. And their simple tools make it so easy for you to filter candidates that actually have the skills and experience you are looking for, which saves you time. It's the one thing you're never going to get back is time. So hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 20 24 hours. It's exactly why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So guys, go check them out. LinkedIn jobs can actually help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So go and post your job for absolutely free, guys, at linkedin.com slash Lisa. Once again, guys, that's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. Now, we've all had that one friend who chimes in with the old adage, if it's right, it should be easy advice when we're having relationship problems. But from my experience, homie, that's not at all true. Whether it's romantic, friendships or professional or relationships, 
All relationships require that you put the time and effort into growing and developing that relationship. And the best, most rewarding relationships happen when both people are willing to put in the freaking hard work to make that happen. I mean, that's certainly been mine and my husband of 21 years motto. So my homie, when you do actually face challenges in your relationship, therapy can be a great place to feel heard and work through it. And there's no easier or more convenient place to get started with therapy than with BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp is 100% online and flexible to fit wherever and however crazy your schedule is. Because that's the important part, that you can absolutely have BetterHelp navigate your current life with the bandwidth that you have. And all you have to do is answer a few questions to get matched with the therapist that actually can best help you and be catered to you. So guys, become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. So go visit betterhelp.com slash women today to get 10% off your first month. That's help, H-E-L-P dot com slash women. When you're out there trying to build and grow your business, but you have so much going on in other areas of your life, be it with your family or your romantic partner or your homies, whatever else you've got going on, you need to be using the best tools available to save time and actually see growth in your company this year, right? And that's why, guys, I really recommend that you go and check out Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell every stage of your business, whether you're just starting out, selling badass necklaces online, or scaling your high-end beauty products to physical stores. Shopify's got you covered, my homie, and their award-winning customer support is ready to help you at every step of your journey. Because let's face it, when you get stuck, you need help. Now, what I love about Shopify is that you can make the most of your time and sell more with less effort. Who doesn't love that? Now you actually have time for self-care, which let's face it, is super freaking important. Now, with this built-in AI and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to take your business to the next level. It's actually no surprise, guys, that Shopify powers 10% of all, all e-commerce in the US. That's insane. So sign up for only $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash Lisa. Now grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Lisa. All right. So how did you then identify? Because you said, I just thought I had a bad memory. And I even heard you say in an interview that you just assumed that like, oh, people in your family's got Alzheimer's. That's maybe just mm-hmm. you. But in researching, going deep in yourself, you started to realize, actually, no, that was just your, um, I don't know if you use this word, but kind of like a survival mechanism mm-hmm. to just forget mm-hmm. the past. So how did you even break that down? So that other, and I understand like it's not a one for one, but just so that people can start to notice, oh yeah, I actually thought that about myself, huh? Based on what she just said, maybe this isn't just me. Maybe this is something that I've developed and I really need to look at that. Yeah, I think anything, anytime we see ourselves repetitive. Okay. Right, that especially in situations, and I know we all can identify those where whatever we're doing in that repetitive fashion isn't translating to Mm. the results that we want. Right. If each time this 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 conversation comes up and, you know, I react in, in one particular way and I get this con- reaction or, or repercussion, if you will, and that doesn't work for me yet, I can't stop. That's usually an indicator that we're kind of stuck okay. in, in that autopilot. So for me, it wasn't an aha light bulb moment. For me, it was very gradual. It was beginning to use different tools. So for me, it was simply realizing how 
unconscious I was. Oh, consciousness, great, okay. So I've learned what, I, I first learned, what does it mean to be conscious? Okay, being conscious means being fully present, being in a moment, having my senses activated. Okay, first question I ask myself, how, how often are you in that state during your day? And my first answer was, I'm not. So now I know I don't really know what consciousness is like. So until I begin to practice that new habit and settle into now a more conscious life, now by contrast, I can understand consciousness versus unconsciousness. So a lot of us have to begin to action, I guess is the way I want to simply answer this, mm. to break those habits, to give ourselves new lived experiences, to be able to understand, right, which was that remnant of the past and which is the future that I choose to walk toward. Mm. Wow, so when you say senses, do you literally sit there and go, all right, what am I hearing? Yeah. Let's tune into my hearing sense. What am I smelling? Let me tune into that. Like, do you kind of just take it one by one and just really? Yeah, absolutely. So listeners who don't, you know, yet know kind of how conscious or unconscious they are right. throughout their day, we all walk around with cell phones. Best suggestion, just set an alarm on your phone for random times throughout your day. So you might not even be, remember by the time the alarm goes off. Mm. And when that alarm goes off and you, oh, my alarm's going off. First, ask yourself, where was my attention? Where's my attention right now that, you know, I hear this thing and now I might zap back in to the current moment. Where was it? Was I worrying about the argument that I had with my partner in the morning? Was I maybe worrying about what's happening tomorrow? Was I like me somewhere, somewhere else, but I don't really know where I was. Mm -hmm. And then when I do identify that I was somewhere else, as a lot of us will, using your senses, doing exactly like you said, they can be incredibly what we call grounding. Mm. Because when I'm activating my senses, I've now moved my attention from wherever else it was, and I've brought it back into my physical body. Mm. Entering the present moment, activating the prefrontal cortex and actually different part of our brain from that subconscious that was probably calling the shots until you tuned in, firing that up. We know that neurons that fire together, wire together, right? So we're almost giving ourselves some mental training and then making it easier to access that conscious state in the future. So yeah, using your senses, ask yourself, I'm touching a nice pillow right here, right? I'm mm. touching, I'm smelling, I'm feeling, and now I'm conscious. A lot of us probably will shift right out of that consciousness very quickly if we're used to being in that unconscious autopilot, which is why I say it's a practice. We have to, over time, gradually, every chance we can make that choice when we notice, oh, I'm somewhere else, to come back here. I know that every time you're doing that, you're helping your brain to make that your more easy to access state. I love that. I mean, it's so tactical and I'm such a huge fan of you know, tactical yeah. advice because we can get lost in our emotions in the moment. So having that is very, extremely powerful. Um, I now really, really want to talk about trauma bonds, what they are, how they show up. And I hear it so often, right? That it's, it's the bonds that they have with people, that people, whether they can't find a partner or um, find a partner, but they're not happy with, like, please share your wisdom. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the reason why we're always, I think I'm always talking and people really resonate with the concept of trauma bond, Lisa, is because we, we're interpersonal creatures. We, we need other humans. Um, a lot of times I do see my work being misinterpreted when people believe that when I speak the concepts of self-healing, that I'm, I'm part of that message is on an island away from other people. <laughs> and I just want to clarify, self-healing means gaining the supportive relationships around you, learning how to 
be in your authentic self and be connected authentically with others because we need others. We all need other humans. And where our trauma bond conditioning began was from those earliest of humans. It was for many of us, the caretakers. Humans, I believe might be the only species that is in a state of complete and utter dependency. Meaning when a human infant is born, it mm. cannot live on mm -hmm. without another, at least one other entity caring mm -hmm. for its, here those words come again, physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Most other mammals, right, can care for themselves. If they're a certain, you know, age of gestation, they can live on. We cannot. We are completely in a state of awe, in a sense, when we're just infants. We are learning, we are absorbing. Our brain waves are actually firing in a particular um, kind of frequency that allows us to take in everything around us. Mm -hmm. We're learning, essentially. And so what we're learning is how all of those needs happen in our body and how to get them met. And because relationships are so important, we began to enter into dynamics with the people around us, specifically mm -hmm. to keep ourselves connected and safe so that we can ensure that our next set of physical needs get met, our next set of emotional needs get met, and that we are seen, heard, and expressed to the best of our ability. So now we begin to form bonds, you know, kind of arrangements with our caregivers. And those are the ways that we can replicate showing up into adulthood. So those of us who didn't have that space to self-express, to just be who we are, who maybe heard things like tone down this aspect of yourself, or maybe who had a mother who shied away when you were sad because they themselves can't handle sadness in themselves. They probably weren't taught how to cope either. Maybe you have a parent whose you know, spirit is completely constricted. They're not self-expressed because they're trudging along in survival mode, caring for their family. That parent might have a hard time holding space. Very well-intentioned parent, don't get me wrong, right. might have a hard time holding space for your spirit and its self-expression. So before we know it, because that bond is so important, we begin to sacrifice those parts of ourselves. We become the helper, the caretaker, the fixer. We learn how to continue to show up in that relationship to get our needs met to the best of our ability. We're very adaptive, so we begin to make those adaptations. We maybe begin to assume those roles, and then that becomes a framework for how we relate to others. Then before we know it, we're in school and we have little peers, and then this is where the patterning starts, right? We become then that little helper student in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And then before we know it, flash forward, right, we're the helper adult, and we continue to show up in these very constricted or restricted ways continuing to keep ourselves from that full self-expression, maybe even continuing to do our own needs a disservice, maybe putting other people's needs before our mm -hmm. own. And that's what trauma bonding is. Essentially, simply, it's those repeated patterns of relating to others specifically that were formed in childhood that for the most part aren't allowing us to fully express all of our needs. All right, that was an amazing breakdown. So now let's say you're in a relationship and Typically, at least for me, before I started getting in the whole mindset space, it was like, oh, it's them, right? It's their fault, it's, it's them. Yeah. Um, but then once you start to self-assess, um, you start, at least for me, I was like looking at, okay, well, what's the common denominator, right? Okay, I'm always getting frustrated in relationships, but okay, well, that's a me problem. Mm. Um, and it's so powerful to identify what that issue is and then work on it. And I've heard you even say like, when you and Lolly started to, 
be very open with each other about what those traumas bonding were, you then could approach that relationship at least understanding each other's so that when they act in a way that may trigger you, at least you understand where that's coming from. So break that down to me. How do you get to that point? Because that's so powerful. It's not even just like get over your freaking trauma bonds, right? You're not saying Mm -hmm. that. You're actually saying identify the trauma bonds in yourself, but also I've heard you say about your partner so that you guys can work together. That was so powerful. So break down, how do we actually do that? Yeah, and I I get questioned a lot, you know, what happens if we do identify that we're in a trauma bond? Is this doomed? Right. Um, Most of us adults are in one. This also applies, just to to make clear, to friendships, to any dynamic. Anytime we're me and someone else, um, I too was someone who pointed blame. I blamed all of my previous partners for the language I would use is their emotional unavailability. You they would just, say that about every partner. Mm-hmm, you just, it's you, you're not emotionally available to me, you're not emotionally available to me, until I, became to, until I came to realize I wasn't emotionally available mm-hmm. to me. So how can I, I wasn't even being emotionally open, honest, transparent. I didn't know my emotions, nor did I really fully share them with someone else. So how can one emotionally connect? How did you come to that conclusion? So how I came to that conclusion is I watched myself in all of my relationships. Okay, Nicole, if you're having a hard time connecting with people, let's see, where are emotions? Do you bring emotions to friends when you do? What do they say? What do they do? Where's the disconnect? Didn't take long before I realized, no, I'm not bringing emotions to people. I'm not giving anyone an opportunity because I don't know what my emotions are. So if we watch ourselves again, if we see a pattern that's across all of our relationships, Chances are it's not all of those people. Like you said, what is the common denominator? I want to emphasize too, two people create a relationship, right? So either party too is playing a role in the trauma bond that's probably precipitate or continuing. So the person on the other side is probably replicating their own past dynamic as well. Um, so can you heal trauma bonds? Absolutely. You know, it takes a, a lot of honesty. A lot of times the honesty happens after the fact after the argument, after the escalation, right? Mm -hmm. After my emotions got out of control when I can have access to my prefrontal cortex again to look at it from a different angle. And what I came to realize, and this is the case with Lolly and I as well, there are a lot of times when the way you cope in an activated moment or a partner copes to keep themselves safe or to regain safety oftentimes triggers another person. So the quick example I'll use is what we call in the field um, withdraw approach. So we have kind of two people chasing each other. Mm-hmm. So when Lolly gets emotionally overwhelmed, she shuts down. And so the way she shuts down is she either needs to stop the conversation, the emotional you know, aspects of it, or leave the room, go take a walk. That's again, her nervous system is in overdrive and she needs to calm back, come back into her safety before we can continue the conversation. Having an emotionally avoidant mother All these are sounding familiar, right? Oh, emotionally avoidant mother. I picked emotionally avoidant partners, right? I was emotionally avoidant myself. So this is how you start to picture, you know, put all these pieces together. My emotionally avoidant mother, her lack of emotional connection to me was my first abandonment. So when Lolly needed a moment at the start of our relationship to regain her safety and her grounding, that was probably the most painful thing that could have ever happened to me in that moment. Because I'm having a feeling, and when you leave, that's that earliest wound that I had in childhood. So what I would do is scream and yell and run after her. 
making her flee more into right because that's her because yeah. she's now escalating saying why are you chasing me i'm unsafe and i'm saying you're making me unsafe by leaving me and now we're locked and that's really hard to break because in that those moments we're both in that emotional brain and we're both typically both partners or whomever they are are trying to regain safety and again it becomes complicated when two different people are having two different tactics and they're triggering each other in the midst of it all. So obviously a lot of work later, a lot of both of us starting to understand our escalation points so that we both can start to say, hey, you know, this conversation is starting to feel like it's escalating me into a point of, you know, not feeling safe anymore. Can we put a pin in this now and revisit it later? Sometimes that's the tools that we need to choose as this is evolving, learning ourselves. And when we need to regulate or take steps to regulate ourselves, obviously communicating that to our partner so that they don't feel abandoned in that moment. Mm -hmm. And then revisiting the conversation at hand later when we're in a different part of our brain. Wow, I love that you ended on like the communication because that's gonna be an important mm -hmm. part is communicating what is happening. But also like, it has to be both sides. So like, what would you have done actually if you were just like, okay, these are, you know, I'm going deep, I'm looking at these trauma bonding, but Lolly wasn't. Do you think that that would have been a breaking point if you were willing and your partner wasn't? Because I'm just trying to project mm -hmm. to people that are listening, right? Where it's like, they, they clicked on this video because they want to mm -hmm. hear from you. They want tactics, they want tips. They're thinking about it. And for them, it's like they're willing to do the work. But what if their partner isn't? Would you say that, that it could be, it's really difficult then to both be aligned and have a successful relationship? So two things could happen. If you're with a partner, right, that doesn't believe they need to do the work, that isn't doing the work, whatever. I get asked a lot, how do I make, you know, partner, wife, friend, mom, change, do the work? And unfortunately, I always give the disappointing answer, which is that you, you can't. Healing is so individual. Mm -hmm. It takes so many choices, so much awareness on a day-to-day -day basis that you have to internalize the process and do it for yourself um, or at least show up for yourself in making those choices mm -hmm. daily. So you just can't. Doing your own work oftentimes, like I said, one or two things can happen. As you work through your conditioning and developing consciousness and creating new choices, sometimes the thing that were issues, you navigate them differently. The climate in the relationship mm. changes. The dynamic shifts gradually just by proxy of you being different, mm. that those things aren't necessarily issues you know, anymore. And or you come to the clarity that the relationship maybe isn't the relationship for your future. That's something you'll know mm. as you evolve into this. This isn't a choice I don't think you make when you've deemed your partner not willing to do the work because that beautiful space of change can happen and does. So my family, for instance, who I think when we spoke last, I was not speaking with yeah, them. No, so I, I, for those of you who aren't aware, um, I think for about two years, I ended up putting up the ultimate boundary, essentially coming from a codependent family. And I didn't, I went no contact and we're now back and repairing relationships um, with my family. I know that there's some beliefs that my family has and that my parents in particular have that are there. They, they are what they are right now. So with that said, you know, I know how difficult it is to show up and to navigate relationships. I also know that now two years later, 
the person that I, while I was still challenged, right, while those old habits are right there, especially when you walk into that family home with the dynamic more or less still in place, right? I'm like, oh, it's really tempting. I know I'm different now and I'm empowered. So when I go home and I experience them, I actually experience them differently, even though some of their beliefs are still there and they haven't changed, if you will, in some ways. And I want to honor all the changes that they have done so I can relate to that. It doesn't bother me as much anymore because I'm in a different space. So Mm -hmm. a lot of your own work could trickle into your relationship um, and just shift the way you experience it in in a way that makes it more sustainable. Oh, man, I still want to go down the rabbit hole of like how you dealt with your family. Like, what was that? preparation because here's I, I project right everyone projects so I'm projecting um you've armored up and as I was using that word mm. in my own head I was like that's the worst <laughs> freaking language to go and like welcome your you know or like join your family with open arms if you're telling yourself you're armored up but I kind of think that I would right I'd almost run through every scenario of all the things they're gonna say I would repeat how I will react like so that when I get there I'm not surprised um how did you then, if you had, let's say, set a boundary, you weren't seeing your family, now you're, I want to embrace my family, I'm going to go back, I know they're doing some work, but they're not yay, there yet. How did, what did that preparation look like? Because I assume, again, projecting, I assume there may have been some fear that you would slip back into the old Nicole. Yeah, absolutely. So one, the major reason that I made the most, one of the most difficult decisions to cut off contact was to prevent, was based in that fear of slippage. Mm. I had tried so many versions of putting different types of boundaries in place with all family members that weren't effective. That for my own self, because I do come from very codependent conditioning, meaning worrying about everyone else's needs before my own. You know, if they feel some kind of way, then I'm to tend to that feeling regardless of how I feel. Um, And I repeated that pattern, you know, over and over again. So cutting them off, or or making the decision to go no to contact, for me was to clear out that space. And it was almost a two year period that I felt I needed. When I went into no contact, it was with a question mark. I honestly didn't know what and when was gonna come next with them. And I was just made the promise to check in with myself, to feel my way. So after about two years of me just doing work consistently to heal, to identify my physical, emotional, spiritual needs, I started to get that inner ping of, huh, family, huh, family. You know, things were starting to like come up for me that I was considering opening that door. So I knew, right? I got to the point where I'm now willing to kind of see where they're at. And I had to have many conversations with myself about the boundaries because I was still fearful a little bit that, okay, well, now that they're back in, you know, I was afraid it was going to be a slippery slope into those old behaviors. So I had many moments where Mm. consciously I just had to continue to coach myself through to show Mm. up. What I noticed, and this is what's interesting, that thinking of, well, how are they experiencing the fact that I didn't respond yet? How are they experiencing that I told them I'll call them next week when it works with my schedule? How are they experiencing? Oh, they're probably mad. Oh, they're probably upset. Oh, they're, I would actually talk to them. And everything I imagined, I'm like, hi, mom. She's like, oh, hi, how have you been? You know, nothing that I imagined was the case was. So time and time of doing that, I realized, wow, Nicole, you're really projecting all of that past and all of the ways you imagined they were or maybe did experience them to be in the past into the now. And every moment you're having an interface with them, a text, a call, 
you're not getting confirmation. They're actually happy to hear from you. You have your conversation. You put the phone down and you more or less can keep it moving on your own in your own world. And so I taught myself along the way that I can't listen up here. I can't. I have to watch what I'm imagining and how I'm imagining they're receiving this new space. That's essentially what I'm doing. Can I relate to them and have a little bit of space, still have them in my life, so not no contact, but have more space than I did in childhood that's comfortable for me? How do I do that? What do I do in the space became my awareness. Mm. And when I'm in that space and I'm holding space for them, if I'm imagining them from that past self, I'm doing us all a disservice Mm -hmm. and I'm causing myself stress because I realized I was having problems with the space. Mm. I don't actually know how to be in relation with them from a distance. So I'm finding my way. Um, and I, I think the teaching and the lesson that I'm sharing is my mind was projecting a lot of those past stories. So I have to take responsibility for that. And the language I use with myself often, whether it's my family, my friends, the community, I want to hold space for their future self because I've had so many people on my journey that saw a version of me that I was capable of that I didn't yet see that that helped me along my way. Even in the beginning, if I wanted to punch them in their face, (laughs) you know, for, for, and I think this is a lot of the challenge. So somewhere in our conversation today, you know, seeing that, that, that meme that triggers you or having that moment where a feeling comes up, you know, can really, really be a learning experience in in a lot of ways about ourselves, um, about that conditioning. And the more we can hold space for, and it can come from that place of, oh, I don't, I don't want you to see this future me. You Mm -hmm. seeing that scares me. Um, My promise to myself, though, is to hold that space for my family included. So to always show up and to try to allow them to show up differently as we all continue to find this new version of a relationship that's more workable for all of us. Wow. There's one thing that you said that I really want to touch on. is you said, now then I can take responsibility for it. And I was trying to think, I was like, how do I ask this question without people actually getting pissed off or annoyed at me? And I was like, you know what? I just have to be me and saying, hopefully I've proven I dedicate my life to empowering women. So hopefully that's a proof to everyone watching and listening that my intentions are very pure. When I say, how do we stop using our childhoods as an excuse for how we show up today. And I mean that in the most like, I don't want to beat people up because it's not necessarily an excuse. In fact, maybe it is a reason, whatever word you want to use. Um, But sometimes I really do think like if I'm having a discussion with someone and they're like, oh, but this happened in my childhood. It's almost sometimes I've noticed people use that as a reason to act the way they act. And it'd be like, well, you've just got to accept it because this happened in my past. How do we stop using that as an excuse? <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's a really great, great question. And I think the more we can incorporate a three-letter word and into our life, the more we can become flexible and let things be this and. Mm-hmm. Right? So yes, a lot of us experienced things when we didn't have choice. We didn't have power. We were very young in our childhood. And they, as we now know, as our full conversation, they carry effects you know, on our physical bodies and our nervous systems, our emotional bodies, our spiritual senses of self, the way we show up in the world. Yes. And as an adult or as a maturing individual, right, we still have to show up in responsibility for the choices that we make. So, and I use that word and, and I've broken myself of the but habit that a lot of us do, right, where we exclude 
well, this happened, so that makes this un impossible or et cetera. Yeah. And the more we, and sometimes we just train ourselves with language. Notice in your mind, how many times do I say, but this, but this, this, and we can just regiment and, 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 and the more we make space. So I had really painful things that happened to me and I'm maybe stuck in a, in a trauma body, in a trauma bond. I'm stuck repeating these patterns of emotional reactivity. Perhaps my nervous system is even completely dysregulated, making me very understandably feel like I have no control. And as an adult, there are possibly some tools out there that I can begin to implement one small daily promise at a time to begin to recreate that balance, to begin to reestablish, because our, not only our minds, our whole body can be trained can be taught, can evolve, can change as we grow. So bad things happened and they probably are still causing. And I talk about the body and all of the foundational practices to help our body regain that balance. And I can begin to make those choices to change my future. And it probably won't be overnight, though somewhere down the line. And then the beautiful thing that happens as you walk this journey you actually empower yourself. So all of those beliefs and the limitations that I had too. I told myself from the genetics that my, you know, my family gifted me with to even the personality characteristics. My whole family's uptight and anxious, so that's all I can be is uptight and anxious until I taught myself something else. Now you and I were joking, right, about beforehand, and I'm like throwing peace signs, like calm person, right? So, oh, I actually, there's more to me. So until you walk the journey of healing and change and transformation, a lot of us aren't going to believe we can do it. Gradually, however, over time, I don't even know when belief happened for me, but somewhere along the line, I began to believe I could. Mm. And that's the most empowering part of it. Um, and I think that a lot of us have a lot of beliefs that are keeping us stuck, possibly, of the things that happened to me will always be with me. And they likely will. And there's still healing that can be done. And you can still make choices that can shift or change the way you experience your current reality. Oh God, girl, you go deep onto so much of this in your book. So I desperately, desperately want everyone to share your book. So where can they find it? Well, thank you. I'm smiling because uh, those of you who will be reading my book, which comes out on March 9th, though it's pre-order now, How to Do the Work, um, links, Amazon, Bookshop, a couple international links are, are available now. Um, it's finally the first place where the whole theory of, you know, mind, body, soul and healing is all in one place. And it just so happens to have a lot of narrative. So I go into my journey um, of healing and obviously uh, community members and clients. And I also made sure at the end of each chapter, there's exercises and journal prompts. So it is a little bit of both. It's the content and the, the information with the story of how it applies in people's life and then the really how to. So I'm hoping this is a book that, you know, will live on for people. You can pick it up, read it, do some of the do some of the work, put it down, maybe revisit it and have it take on a new life um, somewhere later. So how to do the work. Love it. I'm so freaking excited, girl. Seriously. Where can people find you? Because your Instagram posts are bloody mind blowing as well. So where can people find Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Uh, the dot holistic psychologist is where you will find me each and every day, uh, putting out the healing content, doing the work of healing, connect with the amazing community of self healers. So come join us. Hell yeah. Guys, guys, check out everything she does. She's got a book. She's got a YouTube channel. She's got Instagram, which is also fire. If you're not subscribed, guys, click the link below. <laughs> and if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, guys, be the hero of your own life. Peace out.
Working to be confident and freaking badass can be very difficult. Now, I get it, guys. I get it. Kicking ass and taking names takes energy. But when it comes to micronutrients, you're like, wait, how much vitamin B do I need? It can be a daily freaking struggle to figure out and meet that perfect nutrition balance that you need to feel strong, focused and energized, which, of course, are all the things you need to become a freaking confident badass. So it's time to arm your body with every nutrient it absolutely deserves with AG1. Now, if you're a long-time listener, you might know that I've actually been supporting AG1 for many years now. And that's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. So if you want to take ownership of your life, That actually means you have to take ownership over your health. And it all starts, guys, with AG1. So guys, go and try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go now to drinkag1.com slash Lisa. That's drinkag1.com slash Lisa. Go check it out. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What up, my homie? First, I just want to actually thank you. Like from the bottom of my heart, sincerely, absolutely thank you for your support, your support for me, your support for the show, Women of Impact. Like you have no actual idea how much this really means to me when I had that original vision of what I wanted to do and no one was listening. So thank you. Thank you for being here and actually supporting other women along this journey. And I'm going to be honest, if you actually want to level up your confidence game, my homie, then check out Women of Impact's subscription channel. It's specifically designed to help you in every aspect that you're looking for. Now, here's what you get. You get new episodes delivered ad-free. You get exclusive access to listen to Women of Impact roundtable discussions, weekly motivation, previously unreleased episodes, and that's just the beginning. Subscriber only access to an additional four podcasts with hundreds of archived Women of Impact episodes meticulously, meticulously curated into theme playlists and updated weekly so that you get the dose that you need. So if you're looking to boost your confidence, then go and check out the Get Confidence playlist. If you want to repair, heal or start a relationship, then go check out Love Lab. And if you're wondering how you get your health back on track so that you can keep showing up to have the confidence that you're looking for, then go check out Health Hub. And of course, this wouldn't be complete without my weekly boost of mini motivations from moi. 
That's right, it will have you strutting down the street with your head held high, feeling like a freaking badass. And guess what the playlist is called? The Badass Boost, of course. So guys, don't settle for mediocrity when you can absolutely be extraordinary. So guys, subscribe to Women of Impact channel today on Apple Podcasts or Supercast. But no matter where you're listening, guys, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music or any other platform, make sure you're following so you don't miss out on other episodes. And don't forget to check out the show notes for more information on this episode, our incredible sponsors and upcoming events.